Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I love to look around and see everybody visiting with everybody. It's really such a wonderful sight to see. And um, I just want to welcome you here this morning to Living Hope. We're so glad you're here joining us in person as well as online. And um, I just would ask that you would pray for pray with well pray for me too. I'm going to be honest. I've been sick all week, so hopefully I don't cough through the entire service. But I know that this service is in the Lord's hands. He's already gone before us. So pray with, with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us into this space. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for being here before we ever were. Lord, we so look forward to being in your, in your presence this morning. We so look forward to hearing a word from you. And so, Father, be with us. Be with every burden that we've carried in. Be with every blessing that we've received this, this week for those places where we have experienced healing in our lives, those places where we've experienced heartache, Lord, we bring them in with us this morning. We give them to you. Be with this service. May everything that is said and done bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. And now let's greet each other with the greeting that's been used by Christians for a very long time. The Lord be with you. And now the Spellbar family is going to lead us in worship through music. Morning, everybody. Uh, stand with us if, you, uh, if you'd like, willing and able.
next song we're going to do is from Psalm 51, but I'm going to read a, a little different part of the psalm than is quoted in the song we're going to sing. This, this part is uh, verses 15 through 17. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O oh God, will not despise. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together today to celebrate your presence with us. The world is going through some difficult times right now, uh, war in Ukraine, our Christian brothers and sisters not allowed to gather in the way we are today. We lift our hearts to you and we pray for them that you would comfort them in this difficult time that your presence would be with them in a powerful way and that your kingdom will be there for them moving forward. Lord, we thank you for this church, Living Hope Community Church, that we can gather here today, that we can help this kingdom grow, that we can experience your grace together, that we can be bound together in love that we can listen to wonderful music and that we can hear a message from your word. We never wanna take that for granted and we never, we never wanna lose this opportunity to be in the moment with you. Lord, we thank you. We pray that your hope grows within us that we feel it, that every moment is filled with the possibility for the good. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you that you called me here with such wonderful people. I thank you that I'm here today in this place, that I don't have to say the best words, that I don't have to be on my game, but I, I can be here with a family, a family that cares for me, a family that cares for each other. So I thank you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Feel free to go around and greet each other. I think uh, we're okay with that now.
Well, we would probably do this all morning if we had the chance, wouldn't we? So I, as we're finding our seats again, I want to thank the Spellbar family this morning for leading us in worship. I said that correctly, didn't I? Oh, good. Because today would be the day I would say it wrong. Um, we want to thank them for leading us in worship this morning um, and for being willing to give of their time and talents so that we can not just hear the music, but actually enjoy the music very much. So as we're kind of getting settled in, good, good. I love to see people greeting each other and fellowshipping together. If it was up to me, we could do this all morning, but um, Rich might want, Pastor Rich might want me to actually um, do the service. So that's, we're gonna go forward with that. Um, it is really great to see all of you this morning. I was not here last week. I, you may not have noticed even, but I was actually in Dallas, Texas at a um, Wesleyan Holiness Clergy Women's Conference. Say that five times fast. <laughs> but there was about 600 other clergy women, well, 600 altogether, um, gathered there together, 200 of which were from the Church of the Nazarene, which we are affiliated with. And it was a fantastic exhausting, amazing time of personal and professional development as well as just refreshing and renewing and connecting, connecting with people that I'd only ever met online and I got to meet in real life. That was amazing. So I got Twitter friends and Facebook friends I, I finally met. But I, and I appreciate a church that generously allows me to participate in those kinds of things, but I'm really glad to be back. <laughs> I'm glad to be here this morning. So when we were planning, when Pastor Rich and I were planning the Sundays that I would preach this, this year, um, we knew that this was going to be spring break week for Pastor Rich and his family, and we're so glad that they're away and, and having some fun and vacation and refreshing and, and just having some downtime. And I very gladly um, accepted this Sunday and planned for this Sunday to be preaching. Then we, um, we got... The, uh, the, these 40 days uh, that we've been going through, and I just realized I didn't do the announcements. They're sitting right here in front of me. And Stacy's probably freaking out because she has slides. So let's pause for just a moment. Let's do those really quick. So if you're here in the room or you're online and you would like to give us a message to the church office, please do so either by filling out a green card and dropping it in the box in the back, or you can go to livinghope.info connect and you can get a message to us that way. Also, if you are giving this morning, there are envelopes in the back. You can um, put your offering in that and drop it in the box, or you can go to livinghope.info slash give, and we will also, um, we're also able to process your giving that way. Um, many of us know about Ukraine and the war that's going on there and all of the things that are happening. And one of the ways that we as a part of the Church of the Nazarene can support them is through our Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. As we pray and we give, we can use the, the, the link at NCM, which is Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, ncm.org slash Ukraine. And then um, the Global 6K for Water is coming up May 21st. If you are interested in registering for that, you can save $15 by using the promo code WWD2022. Oh, my word. Let's try that again. WWD22, right? That's what it, okay. Um, through April 10th, you can get $15 off your registration. Okay. So, now, now back to what I was saying. Um, Anyway, so I had, I had planned long ago to preach this Sunday. And then we um, got our, our devotional books that we're going through the, these 40 days. And I started looking at the Sunday that I had already a long time ago agreed to be here this morning with you. And sometimes in the Bible there are passages that are awkward for pastors to preach from. They speak into areas that can be a little uncomfortable to preach about in this type of a setting. And, and every pastor has that first time they get to preach one of those passages. And today's my day. <laughs> so um, hope you guys can all hang in there with me. <laughs> and and, um, and we, can, we can look at this in a way that, is, that we hear from the Lord, okay? 
Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, which this is what our devotional is, is really geared on, is um, the first part of that is the Beatitudes. Pastor Rich finished up the Beatitudes last week um, for, for our purposes. You can never really be finished with the Beatitudes, but for our purposes, he finished those up last week. And so this week, we start looking further into Matthew. And today, we're going to look at the last part of Matthew chapter 5. And today, we're going to start in verses 27 to 30. Are you ready? <clears throat> Hold on to your hats. It says, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. See what I mean? Awkward, right? <laughs> well, let's jump in, okay? This section of the chapter, of fifth chapter of Matthew, has several smaller sections. They begin with the phrase, you've heard the commandment that says, or maybe you've heard it this way, it, you, maybe you've heard it that you heard that it is said, or it was said. Well, this is one of those smaller sections in which Jesus is quoting from the law, the law that was very familiar to the Jews that he was speaking to. They had all learned the laws, and the religious leaders, they were especially proud of being able to say that they followed the law to the letter. In this passage, Jesus is talking about the seventh commandment. It's one that's in the top ten list. Right? Right? Anyway, um, it's, in the, it's a part of the Ten Commandments, and it was very familiar to this crowd, okay? Um, and like us, most of the people there were probably thinking, okay, no problem. I got that one. I'm good. I'm not committing adultery. I'm, I'm not doing that. But Jesus, but Jesus, he goes a step further here, and he follows, with up, follows up with that statement, but I say, you've heard this, but I say, what does he say? He states that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust is guilty of committing adultery in his heart. Now, before I, we go any further into this conversation, I want to caveat this by saying that even though men are the ones being addressed in these, this passage, these, these verses, they're not the only ones that lust. Women lust too. So when Jesus is saying, talking about men in this passage, he's not just speaking to men. I don't think that's too big of a stretch to make here in including women in this. So girls, you're not off the hook. Sorry. So, <laughs> but this, this, what he says here is a radical departure from what the Jews had been taught to think about in terms of following the laws. As long as they weren't actively doing the things that the law said not to do, they were considered to be righteous. Jesus, however, goes deeper to where their thoughts and their feelings come into play. I can only imagine the gasps and the pearl clutching that happened when Jesus said that even looking at a woman lustfully was equal to committing adultery with her. And you know what I mean by pearl clutching, don't you? Some, maybe some of the younger folks, but have you ever seen the caricatures of the little old ladies when you say something scandalous and they've got their string of pearls and they start clutching and play, playing with those pearls. That's what I think of when I hear Jesus saying this in my head. Don't ask what else might be in my head. It's kind of crazy up there. Um, but Jesus was so serious about this. He was so serious about this whole idea that he even told the crowd how to remedy the situation. Gouge out your eye. <laughs> even if it's your good eye, gouge it out and throw it away. Can you... <laughs> Again, pictures pop into my head when I read things, okay? I apologize. But can you imagine what it, might be look, what it might look like if we were walking around and all the people who had looked at somebody lustfully gouged out their eye? It, it probably would be a little messy, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, but, but Jesus may not have been speaking literally here. I mean, it would be a little weird to see people walking around with gouged out eyes. But it was so serious for him 
that what he was saying to the people, as well as saying to us today, is that we need to do whatever it takes to avoid sinning. Whatever it takes. Even it means cutting off our arm. And that's drastic. That's radical. You don't just cut off an arm because it, you, you did something sinful with it, right? That's ridiculous. And yet Jesus is ridiculously serious about sin. And he's not joking around. Now before we move into the next group of verses, I want to just take a minute to speak to the topic of lust that isn't necessarily obvious in these couple of verses. But I believe it's a crucial point that we need to understand in our context today. In our current narrative, we want to blame the person being lusted after for the sin of lust. Not always, but far too often. How do we do that? I mean, we ask ourselves, how, how do I blame the person who's being lusted after? Well, have you ever looked at someone, a, a woman in particular, and thought, well, she should be dressed more appropriately? I've done it. I'll, I'll be honest. I've done it before. Or she's just dressing that way for attention and the wrong kind of attention. Well, when lustful comments are made about her, then it's her own fault for the way she dresses, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't make an exception here for the person who is dressed in any way, any certain way. The sin of lust is always the responsibility of the one doing the lusting, never the one being lusted after. It's our tendency to blame the object of lust for the sin we even see this in the way the story of David and Bathsheba has been told to us. I know I grew up with the impression that Bathsheba was taking a bath, fully naked, out in the open where anybody could see her, and poor King David, poor King David, he was powerless to resist her beauty. But this is, in, this is not in the handout. This one's extra. It's for free, okay? Um, it, but a closer reading of the story may indicate otherwise. And in fact, I want to read it too. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after, her, after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Bathsheba was completing a required ritual. Something that the Jewish women had been doing for thousands of years to that point. It wasn't something they could skip. It wasn't something, it wasn't something luxurious. It was a ritualistic cleansing that she was required to do and had been doing since reaching puberty. There was nothing unusual about what she was doing. It was routine and it was normal, and she had never had any other incidences while bathing. Not until David, who was really supposed to be away at war, where all the other kings were, he was out walking on the roof of, roof of his palace. Now, when we think of palaces, I think we think of places with high, speared, you know, steep roofs and stuff like that, but in, in that time, they would have had flat roofs with almost like patios that King David could have walked around, and that's what he was doing. He's strolling along on the roof of his palace, and it was a place where he could stand and look out over his kingdom. He could peruse his whole entire kingdom, probably think to himself, I'm the king. This is great. Isn't this awesome? Look at my kingdom. It's awesome. God, you are so, you're so great. We're so great. Isn't this great? Maybe not. I might be putting words in his mouth. It could be a Judy Engel paraphrase. But you get the idea. He was just out there. When something caught his eye, Bathsheba caught his eye. Now, at that point, he could have, should have, not could have, he should have turned away. Whoops. Whoops. 
I shouldn't have seen that and gone to another part of the roof where he could have perused his kingdom from another angle, but he didn't. Instead, he lingered there, admiring Bathsheba's beauty. And he inquired as to who she was. Upon finding out that she was married to Uriah, who was one of David's military leaders, right? He should have dropped the matter. Let it go. She's married. Let it go. But he didn't. He sent his messengers to her house and had her brought to the palace, to King David, to the one person in all of the kingdom that saying no to was forbidden. And David slept with her. David was the instigator. He was the initiator, not Bathsheba. She had no power in this scenario. And the result was she became pregnant. David ended up having her husband put on the front lines of war, which in essence assured he would die, and he did, and then took Bathsheba as his own wife. Later, the prophet Nathaniel confronted David with this sin in comparing it to one man stealing another man's treasured lamb, something pure and innocent. Once David realized his sin, he went before the Lord in brokenness and repentance. In fact, we sang about it this morning. Psalm 51 comes out of this incident. But he went before the Lord in brokenness and repentance and was restored, but the damage was already done. And this story, when we look a little closer, starkly illustrates, us, illustrates for us this idea of who's responsible for the sin of lust. Now, this is not the only place where Jesus points out the law and then shows another way to live. In verses 21 and 22 of Matthew, we read this. You've heard that our ancestors were told we must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, <laughs> I almost want you guys to say it with me. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, or we might have learned this if you call someone a fool, okay? You are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, here Jesus is addressing the sixth commandment. And it seems like a pretty easy one to follow, doesn't it? Don't kill, don't murder anyone. Got it. Check. I've never killed anyone. I have no intentions of killing anyone. I'm good to go, right? But here again, we read Jesus saying, but I say... Jesus tells us that even being angry with someone can bring judgment. Now, I'm not going to say that being angry that someone has done something wrong or hurtful is sinful initially. But hanging on to that anger, allowing it to nestle down in and become a full-blown grudge or hatred, well, that's sin. That's where it becomes sinful. And taking that a step further, even calling them in this passage an idiot or in other older translate or different translations, calling them a fool can cause one to be brought up on charges. And cursing someone can actually put that person in danger of hell. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. I wish I could say I'd never done this. But I have. And I, I'm not going to ask you to show hands. This is, <laughs> but how many of us can be honest and say, well, yeah, I've, I've been angry at folks for a long time sometimes. Yeah, this is a tough one. And if someone does something to us, I mean, if somebody does something to us, we have a right to be angry, don't we? We have a right. Our culture tells us if someone hurts you, you're, you have every right to be angry. But Jesus is calling us to another way. And we may not be going out and murdering people, I hope, I hope. <laughs> um, no, I don't, no, I would never say that about anybody in here. Never, never, never. But um, we may not be going out and murdering people, but our anger towards someone, or even more than one someone, turning to bitterness and hate is the same in our hearts as murdering them. We are just as guilty as if we had actually killed them. Man, that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Then we look at verses 38 to 42, and they say, You've heard that 
the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, here it is again, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek too. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. The law makes sure that things are fair and even, right? An eye for an eye seems perfectly reasonable, doesn't it? Fair and even. Who can really argue with fair and even, right? Except that here we read another, but I say. Jesus is saying that if someone does something evil to you, like slapping you, you're not to retaliate. Instead, offer the other side of your face to be slapped. This is not what our culture teaches, is it? It's not what our humanity wants to do, is it? We want to slap back. Yikes. Um, and in, in, in that, it was not our culture, and it's also not the culture of Jesus' time either. As long as it was kept even, and it was eye for eye and tooth for tooth, revenge or retaliation was allowable, according to the law. In that time, a Roman citizen could demand the shirt off your back, or a Roman soldier could demand that you carry his pack if he had been gotten tired of carrying it. For up to one mile was the, the law. And that is not... Um, sorry, I lost my place. Jesus is saying here that if that happens, willingly give your coat along with your shirt. And if you're asked to carry that pack, don't just go the one mile Go two miles. That's where we get that saying, going the extra mile. Did you guys know that? It came out of this Bible story, this, this sermon here that he's giving. That is not fair. It is not even. It's not just, is it, according to the law. It is way beyond fair and way beyond even. And that is exactly Jesus' point here. He is calling his followers to a different radical and better way and the next passage we're going to look at really goes right along with this one okay in the next few verses it reads you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say here it is again i'll tell you when i was reading through this it's like oh, jesus how many things do you have to say you're kind of killing me here you know but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of our Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He, he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors, which, at, by the way, at, this, at that time, t tax collectors, they were like the scum of the earth. Okay, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Because even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect or holy, even as your Father in heaven is perfect or holy. Now, in the verses just before these, Jesus is telling his listeners to go above and beyond the minimum standard of the law. Here, man, he takes it even one step farther. If the previous verses were uneven and unfair, this little group of verses here is just outright ludicrous, right? The law of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy fits into the natural order of things, doesn't it? That's why we fight wars, because we have enemies. That's why we have vendettas, because we have enemies, right? But at least as far as we in our humanity see things, it's the right and natural order of things. And loving our neighbor is the second part of the greatest commandment. Remember, greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second part of that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Easy peasy. No problem. We've got it, don't we? Man, we can check that box. We're good to go. But it would seem that once again, in this passage, Jesus is calling those who are following him to another way. 
to a deeper way. A radical departure from what had been learned up to that point. Love your enemies. Ouch. Pray for those that persecute you. Oh. By doing so, you will be demonstrating that you are acting like you know God, like a child knows its father. When we love that person or those people who love to make our lives miserable, it unambiguously demonstrates the love of Jesus in our lives. It's hard to be enemies with someone we pray for too, isn't it? Man, it's hard to keep an enemy when you're praying for him. It's hard to stay angry at him too. And we talked about anger just a minute ago. It's hard to be angry with someone you're praying for. It's hard to stay enemies with someone that you're praying for. And when we demonstrably love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and make us miserable, that, that is when God can do amazing transformational work in those people and in those places, ourselves included. Now, there are places, maybe too many places, in the church. Now, I'm not talking living hope. I'm talking the church universal. Okay, there are too many places in the church right now that feel like they are being persecuted for their faith. And they're even fighting back. I would say, look at the way that they're fighting back. Are they doing it by praying for those that are persecuting them or not? Are they loving their enemies or not? This is my little commercial, I guess. Be careful to discern. Even what people who claim to follow Jesus say about being persecuted and having enemies and compare what they say and do to what Jesus says here. It will help you discern the truth of the matter. Well, I hope by now, <laughs> this far in, that you have picked up on the pattern of this end part of Matthew 5. We didn't even look at all of the other but I say passages because there are more, several more. But what I believe Jesus is trying to teach the crowd then and us now today is that there is so much more to following him than just doing the bare minimum. Just following the rules and looking good on the outside more than even just looking pretty good on the inside. He is showing us that there is a way that is a step further, and I've said this earlier, a step deeper than what we might have been taught. Not that what we were taught was wrong. You know, there's a reason we, we want our kids to be in Sunday school. There's a reason we want our kids to learn the stories. There's a reason we want our kids to learn the stuff. But then we come to a place where Jesus says, you've heard this, but I say. He calls us to greater things. And this morning, we have a very unique opportunity. <clears throat> the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit help us look at those parts of our lives where we might need to take that extra step, that deeper step into how we can not just look more like Jesus, but be more like Jesus. And as we go into our time of prayer and receiving of the elements of communion, will you let the Holy Spirit help you look at those places in your life, places in your heart, where you need to take that deeper step, where you need to say, Lord, I've done the bare minimum. I've been obedient in the minimum, but I want something deeper. I want to be more like you, not just look like you. And we're going to do something a little bit different, Stacy. We're going to start with the prayer that Jesus taught us. Okay? And then we will finish up in prayer. So join me in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. 
Lord, we come to you this morning asking that you would examine us by your Holy Spirit. See those places in our hearts and in our lives where, Lord, we want to go deeper. We need to go deeper. Show us those places where we have been obedient, Lord, and we have done the minimum. But now, as we follow you, we want more. We want more, Lord. Lord, for each person that is here in this place and those who are watching now online or who will watch later, I have no doubt that you are challenging each of us. You've challenged me in this, Lord. And I just ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be just a real presence in this moment, in this place, in the places that, um, that people are listening to this. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to obey you. We want to follow you more than anything. Above all else, take us deeper. And show us, Lord, the better way that you would have us to go. And Father, we're reminded once again today of the time that you took the bread and the cup and you blessed them and you gave them to your disciples with the instructions to take and eat in remembrance of you and of your sacrifice for us. And Lord, we come to this table not because we must, but because we may. Not because we are strong, but because we are weak. We come not because of any goodness of our own gives us a right to come, but because we need mercy and help. We come because we love the Lord and would like to love him more. We come because he loved us and gave himself for us. We come and meet the risen Christ together, for we are his body. Amen and amen. The musicians are going to come again and lead us as we receive the elements. And Jason is going to hold the elements so I can continue to keep my germs a little more to myself. You're invited to come forward. Take a bit of bread and dip it in the juice, or take the prepared elements back to your seat. We have regular bread as well as gluten-free wafers. And if you are more comfortable staying seated at your table, there are elements there that are already prepared for you to receive as we come to the Lord's table this morning.
From this place to wherever it is that you are taking us today and this week, be with each person that is within the hearing of this prayer, Lord. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You are dismissed.